0: This is Jacobin Radio, and I'm Susie Wiseman. Political economist Pedro Paulo Zaluth Bastos joins us from Brazil with his analysis of the so-called Trump of the tropics, Brazil's newly elected president, Jair Bolsonaro. There's irony to the Trump-Bolsonaro love fest in D.C. last week. Bolsonaro, a staunch defender of military dictatorships, was summoned to support a U.S. intervention in Venezuela under the pretext of exporting democracy. And Pedro Paulo writes that in so doing, Trump was reviving the U.S. policy of allying with dictators, quote, who might be SOBs, but at least there are SOBs. We'll get Pedro Paulo's understanding of the new Brazilian U.S. relationship, as well as his view of Brazilian politics and economics, under their new tweeter in chief, who campaigned as a murderous, homophobic, anti-feminist, declaring open season on the left and on the Amazon rainforest. All this when Jacobin Radio returns in just a moment. Welcome to Jacobin Radio. I'm Susie Wiseman. Brazil's newly elected president, Jair Bolsonaro, is called the Trump of the tropics. He's far worse, and he tweets much more. Pedro Paulo, Zaluth Bastos, who joins us this morning, notes the irony of that Trump-Bolsonaro love fest in D.C. last week, Bolsonaro is no lover of democracy, and he was called to join the United States in exporting democracy to Venezuela. We're going to look at the new Brazilian-U.S. relationship and Brazilian politics and economics under their new tweeter-in-chief, who campaigned, as I said, as a murderous, homophobic, anti-feminist, declaring open season on the left and on the Amazon rainforest. Pedro Paulo Zaluz Bastos is an associate professor at the University of Campinas that's right outside uh, Sao Paulo in Brazil, and he's talking to us from Brazil. Last year he was a visiting scholar at UC Berkeley, and he's a former president of the Brazilian Society of economic history and the head of the Department of Political Economy and Economic History at Unicamp, which is what Campinas University is called there. Pedro Paulo, welcome back to Jacobin Radio.
1: Thank you for having me, Suzy.
0: Very glad to hear your voice. Let's just begin with this meeting that was held last week in D.C. Well, maybe I'd like to get first your impression of those two together, the two tweeters in chief and some of their you know, similarities and differences. But also, do you really think that it's possible that Brazil could be called upon to wage or even support a war with Venezuela? And there's a couple of other questions I want to ask about that. But why don't we just start with that?
1: Okay, Suzy, I believe that the most important point is that Trump-Bolsonaro meeting marks a new phase in U.S.-Brazil relationship, marked not necessarily by an automatic alignment of Brazil towards U.S. positions, but at least much less independence than observed under the administrations of Lula da Silva and Dilma Rousseff. So, I believe that we should discuss a little bit uh, the historical background of this change, right? Yeah. So, under Lula and Dilma Rousseff, basically, Brazil tried to make hard economic and political bargains with the U.S., for instance, blocking the free trade area of the Americans, FTAA, in an alliance with Argentina. And bringing other developing economies in multilateral forums, uh, especially the WTO in the Doha round, and even helping to create the BRICS groups in 2011, or allowing for capital controls in the G20 group in 2010. So the idea behind the former Brazilian foreign policy was that the U.S. had been leading a coalition of rich countries to impose neoliberalism worldwide and especially to restrict the policy space for developmental policies in the global south using both multilateral organizations as the WTO and the Mm IMIF and the divide and rule strategy through bilateral trade agreements. So to counter that, the idea was that Brazil should help to organize a coalition of developing countries and especially large peripheral states, such as Argentina, India, and even China, that were not ready to renounce national development policies and accept the international asymmetries inherent in the new liberal global hegemonic rules of the WTO that the U.S. was pushing.
0: So wait, I want to let you go on, but I just want you to like clear that. So you're looking at a kind of policy of South American integration and you mentioned even things like China and India. So go ahead. Let's see if we can explain if yes, you can explain that. It was that. a
1: kind of global South coalition against undevelopment policies in the WTO. Mm-hmm. For instance, the U.S. would like to have restricted rules for government procurement, for intellectual property rights, for investment incentives and subsidies, for regulation of foreign capital, for instance, and Brazil was kind of a leader of this coalition against U.S. and rich countries, new liberal impositions. But not only that, but on the political and military dimensions, Brazil also conducted, for instance, a, a nuclear submarine program with the help of France and a fighter aircraft program, a war jet program with uh, the Swedish company Saab. So Brazil increased its military cooperation with European countries and economic cooperation with the global south, and especially China. But Brazil also backed left administrations in South America, even creating new groups without the participation of the U.S., like the UNASUR, the Union of uh, South American Countries. Uh, For instance, just after being sworn in as president on January uh, 2003, Lula da Silva sponsored a group of friends of Venezuela that helped to pacify the country after the attempted at U.S. backed at coup right. against Hugo Chavez. Then, right under so later, George
0: uh, W. Bush, right, yeah.
1: Yes, exactly. And later, uh, Brazil would help to stabilize left administrations in Bolivia and Ecuador, supporting Morales' government against this violent secession attempt. Also, U.S. backed in 2008. And denounced the coup attempt in Ecuador and supporting President Rafael Correa in an attempt coup in 2010, also U.S. backed it. Uh, Brazil didn't have the same success in Honduras 2009 and Paraguay in 2012, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but at least could lead a reaction movement that insulated the United States even inside the Uh, Organization of American States Against Honduras Intervention. So for the U.S., it was not interesting to have an emerging economy and an emerging power gaining increasing clout in its so-called backyard, right? Right. And in 2013, it's very important uh, this date because Dilma Rousseff even canceled a state visit to the U.S. after the weak leaks and Edward Snowden, reviewed the wiretapping of her personal communication, and also Angela Merkel's, Uh at the same time, by NSA. And the problem is that uh, the diplomatic secrets, and even maybe state secrets in Petrobras, the Brazilian state oil company, uh, like, for instance, the oil maps in the pre-south area, could have been passed to U.S. oil corporations, and also leads of corruption in Petrobras could have been passed to Brazilian federal prosecutors that would conduct the following year the car wash
0: Operation. Uh, let me just stop you for one second, Pedro Paulo, So it's kind of interesting because you and I on this program have talked a lot about the Lava Jato or car wash corruption scandal that really has undone so much in Brazil, including made it possible for Bolsonaro to come to power. I understand Temer was, is uh, now finally indicted. We can go into that. But what you're kind of saying here is something that I hadn't thought about that it gave a window from the United States side into that scandal and maybe made it a party to it. Is, are you kind of intimating yeah. that?
1: Yes, I'm intimating that. Actually, okay. I think there is this uh, this movie by Oliver Stone on Snowden uh, made the same suggestion, mm-hmm. for instance. Okay. Right. And Obama administration clearly supported the legislative coup against Rousseff 2016. So the senator that would be Tamer second foreign minister traveled the day after the impeachment to a high-level meeting in Washington. And after that, Temer enacted a new regulation of oil exploration in the pre south area that allowed for the entrance of the U.S. oil corporation, something that Wikileaks also reviewed that was U.S. policy since the discovery of the pre South area in 2008, right? Right. So in his presidential campaign, Bolsonaro kind of vowed to radicalize this shift towards America that was already being conducted by Michel Temer. But he put also an anti China flavor to it, right? For instance, last year he visited Taiwan and promised to enact a trade agreement with the US. And he said also, of course, that Brazil would cooperate to topple communism in Latin America means, civilizing Venezuela, Nicaragua, and Cuba, aligning himself with Trump's policy, especially after Bolton and Abrams.
0: But is it one thing to align themselves with those policies, but another thing to actually participate in an invasionary force? And we don't know yet if that's what the case is, but is that something that Brazil, you could imagine Brazil doing under Bolsonaro?
1: Well, just... Upon arriving in the U.S., Jair Bolsonaro tweeted (laughs) that uh, that, uh, something like, for the first time in a long time, a Brazilian president who is not anti-American arrives in Washington, (laughs) right? But in fact, there are some domestic hurdles that prevent a total alignment with U.S. trade policies, the U.S. trade war with China, and U.S. policy towards Venezuela, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, regarding regime change, Venezuela, the Brazilian army doesn't want to intervene militarily. They calculate the huge material, political, and human costs that this would bring. And for instance, last month, they didn't allow the presence of U.S. military forces in Brazil, in the Venezuelan border, in the so-called humanitarian action, and that fateful weekend, right? Mm. Regarding trade policy, the protectionist instance of the Trump administration only reinforces the traditional U.S. resistance against Brazilian agribusiness exports. So last year, for instance, the U.S. imposed unilaterally uh, new barriers against the Brazilian steel and also meat exports that Bolsonaro couldn't get relaxed at, uh, mm-hmm. last week. Wow. Right. And regarding China, Brazilian ranchers, soybean growers, cattle ranchers, lumber exporters, mineral war exporters depend very much on China's market. So China is Brazil's biggest trade partner,
0: uh-huh.
1: responsible for, for half of all the country's commodities exports. The U.S., in comparison, accounts for around half of that level of. Brazil-China trade, and on the other hand, the U.S. is an agribusiness competitor in the Chinese market. A truth between the U.S. and China could come if Beijing opened up its market to American exports of soybeans, meat, sugar, ethanol products that Brazil actually exports to China also. And so as Brazil is very dependent on China, it's not to be expected that it would back. US trade war with China. Reuters reported less, uh, that last week US officials pressed Brazilians to prevent Huawei to participate in next year G5 mobile network auctions. But Brazil said that that's off the table as of now, right? And of course because Brazil's decision for or against Huawei will necessarily anger either the US or China. So, so it's
0: really interesting. You're saying, yeah, the Brazil's kind of between a rock and a hard place in terms of these two giants. Yeah. So, yeah, go ahead. Okay. So
1: actually, given this protectionist stance of the Trump administration, Bolsonaro gave a lot and receiving almost nothing back from, from Trump. Basically, Trump gave two things, most token concessions. First, he pledged to support Brazil's bid to become a member of the Organization of Economic Cooperation and Development, OECD,
0: mm-hmm.
1: what would forbid Brazil from imposing capital controls. That is exactly what Brazil fought for in the G20 in 2010 against U.S. resistance. And, of course, this would institutionalize financial openness, financial neoliberalism with international treaty, and as the US is an exporter of financial services and uh, New York is the main global capital market, that's not really a US concession, but something that is in US material interest, right? Right. The second thing is that almost the same thing. Trump turned Brazil into a major non NATO ally. Mm-hmm. Uh, status upgrade that that would give Brazil preferential access to the purchase of U.S. military equipment and technology. And that's not really a U.S. concession also, because it's also in the U.S. material interest. But this would probably bring more pressure for a Brazilian participation in the case of U.S. military intervention in Venezuela or elsewhere.
0: Well, Pedro... That, pa- uh, yeah.
1: Brazil gave a lot of concessions to the U.S.
0: Okay, well, I want to be able to get to some of these other aspects, and we can come back to this, because it all does hinge on this relationship. Between the United States and Brazil, but also in terms of the political economic policy that Bolsonaro is trying to carry out in office. And you could say, of course, that Brazil's been through tremendous upheaval in the last several years in which you know Dilma was impeached in a – calling it a judicial or administrative coup – and Lula, the most popular president in Brazil, was jailed. And it looks like they're going to try to keep him there forever. And even in jail, he ran for president and was running ahead until they uh, disqualified him from running. And with less than a month until the elections, Haddad tried to come out. And I think we should just say that, that Bolsonaro was a pretty terrible candidate. He's, uh, he's not all that articulate. He's flaky. He didn't do well in debates, but then somebody tried to stab him. And so he was in the hospital recovering just tweeting, and he tweets far more than Trump. And as a tweeter, I guess he yeah. was able to summon all kinds of support, including the vast new Pentecostal population, and that's another issue we're not going to have time to get into. But I want to talk about how you characterize him in office, because even though he makes all these statements that would make one think that he's uh, fascist, or at least and not exactly populist, but kind of populist, and as I said in the intro, more common garden, anti-left, homophobic, racist, and chauvinist. But here, you've been noting that The public opinion polls are showing a decrease in his popularity after only 80 days in office. So let's talk about that a little bit.
1: Okay. Well, there was indeed a a 15 percent drop in Bolsonaro's approval ratings last week, leaving him as the least approved president in the first term in office at this stage. Wow. Like uh, less than three months after the inauguration. And I think three things explain this: the group corruption scandals that tarnish Bolsonaro's image as a clean politician, and also the possible links between his family and the militias that probably got. Marielle Franco assassinated.
0: Let me just stop you there, because I wanted to ask that as well. And as long as you're doing it, just to let the listeners know, we just marked the one year anniversary of that callous assassination of Marielle Franco, who was a black, gay Rio counselor and a human rights activist. So go ahead. You're going to say now that there's some links between that assassination and the Bolsonaro family?
1: Exactly. Because uh, exactly two days before the anniversary of uh, Marielli and Anderson's assassination, the police arrested two hitmen, and in the residence of one of them, police found 847 dismantled assault rifles alongside ammunition that are new, absolutely new, and exclusive to the U.S. Army. And uh, the U.S. Army just started to use its rifles in the end of 2018 very strange. But this hitman called Ronnie Lessa resides in a, a neighborhood, upmarket neighborhood in Rio de Janeiro, in the, coincidentally the same condo of Jair Bolsonaro and his son. And during the press conference, the chief of police stated that one of Mr. Lessa, the, the hitman, daughters, dated one of Mr. Bolsonaro. Sons, Eduardo Bolsonaro, who was with Bolsonaro with Trump last week. And investigators agreed to separate Maria's case in two cases, one focusing on the, on the perpetrators of the crime and another looking on who gave the order, right? And it's clearly that the assassination was carried out by the so-called Office of Crime, which is a, a, a death squad Linked to the oldest Uber militia in Rio de Janeiro, mm. it's so-called Rio, Rio das Pedras militias. And this militia has been investigated by Marcelo Freixo and Marielle Franco for the last 10 years. And they have very clear connections with Jair Bolsonaro's family. Well, basically, these militias are bands of former policemen that try to control poor neighborhoods in Rio. Replacing drug gangs and selling protection and other services, mostly legal services like illegal cable TV, internet, water, gas, and they authorize and tax firms in, in the areas that they control. They're mafias, really. Mm, okay. and, and one of these militias has been investigated by Marielle Franco. She was very critical of the militias and also the military intervention in Rio. And there is no evidence that Bolsonaro's family are connected with the killing. But apart from that coincidence, aforementioned coincidence, Flavio Bolsonaro has other links with the militia. For instance, last month, a police investigation against the Office of Crime ordered the arrest of 13 hitmen in the upper echelon of the criminal organizations. And for the leader of the organization, both his mother and his wife were employed by Flavio Bolsonaro's office in Rio de Janeiro. Flavio Bolsonaro is a Bolsonaro's eldest son, and he was a state representative in Rio, has just been elected as senator, federal senator by Rio de Janeiro. And it's complicated because also the mother of, of this militia boss is also involved in another corruption scandal surrounding Flávio Bolsonaro because he suspected of forcing his staff to hand over part of their salaries back to his bank account. And his driver and chief of staff was responsible both of making the uh, cash withdrawals Mm. from uh, the bank accounts of uh, these employees of Flávio Bolsonaro and to deposit it in the bank account of Flávio Bolsonaro.
0: So, right? Pedro, Paulo, and, I want to move on slightly to other aspects of Bolsonaro in power. And I'm going to take it that you're saying that there are links, but not hard evidence, and that this could become something of a scandal that will envelop the yeah. Bolsonaro family. And so, given the way the scandals have affected politics on high in Brazil, this could be incredibly important. But let's hear from you a little bit about what else bolsonaro in power has been trying to do what are for example his priorities he campaigned as a populist but we see that he's actually a kind of extreme neoliberal or let's call it drastic neoliberal that is in favor of privatizing almost all state assets and things like that so let's let's hear a little bit about how you see the administration's priorities and what they're able to do
1: yes well, Bolsonaro was elected with basically two big themes. The first, he was elected to promise to crack down on corruption and the old practices of political patronage. And it's clear that on the corruption dimension and also on the political patronage dimension, he's now being seen, clearly seen as someone who is, connected with the same old practice that he used to criticize. That's why he lost such a big popularity in the last opinion polls. But on the other hand, he used that and his strict stance on crime, he used to say, as I mentioned to you last time we talked, that a good bandit is, is a killed bandit, mm. right? right? So he said that police should be able, authorized to shoot criminals without much legal restriction.
0: Like Duterte right. in the Philippines.
1: Like Duterte in the yeah. Philippines.
0: I am speaking with Pedro Paulo Zaluz Bastos, associate professor at the University of Campinas in Brazil. He's also the head of the Department of Political Economy and Economic History there.
1: As I mentioned, Bolsonaro, he's doing these promises of uh, cleaning Brazilian politics and being very tough on crime. But on the other hand, it's a kind of cover to conduct a radical new liberal program, right? And the first piece of this new liberal agenda is the pensions reform that will make people contribute far more years in their lifespan. Uh, with higher minimum wages to get retired, and smaller retirement benefits.
0: Wow. Pensions. That can't be popular.
1: Yes, it's not popular at all. It's almost the same reform that was brought by Temer, which was a very unpopular president, and it's clearly a cause of uh, the loss of popularity of Bolsonaro. And along his life, Bolsonaro actually fought against the pension reform, And he was representative of the the military, who in Brazil get a a very generous retirement benefits, right?
0: So it's a flip-flop.
1: Yes, yes, exactly. And after that, he would probably conduct other new liberal reforms. And also the the public security reform that he's been trying to pass through Congress, but uh, mostly after the pension reform would basically loosen the restrictions on the possessions of guns through not yet gun carrying, but just the possession of guns, and would make it harder to indict policemen that shoot to kill, right? Mm. And he's also trying to conduct a a moral crusade in the schools against so-called gender ideology, and, uh, again, so-called left indoctrinations in, in this school, just like Trump has has mentioned last, right, last
0: week, Right. Actually. So maybe you could talk just a little bit then, given these economic priorities that go against the, the wishes of the population, maybe they want a crackdown on crime and drugs and thought that they could have a strong man like uh, Bolsonaro in power, but given that he's not delivering on the economic side how do you see that part and is there some uh, coalescing of forces against him
1: yes actually it's clear that the economy is l- slowing down or at least stagnated for instance uh, the central bank last month showed a monthly fall in GDP actually last January and pointing to the fact that there are no economic drives to, to push a recovery in Brazil right now And last week, the finance ministry announced a budget cut due to less than expected tax collection, which is, of course, a symptom of economic stagnation, at least, and which might actually, the the budget cuts would reinforce economic stagnation. And, of course, only the financial markets believe in the confidence theory that budget cuts would bring economic recovery, and the markets are, are actually booming here in Brazil, while the global economy is, is slowing down, just as uh, Bob Brennan has been analyzing in the U.S. <laughs> right. Now.
0: Maybe you could just say, is there any protest against him yet?
1: Yes. yes uh, but uh, on the economic level, the worst thing is that I think that the economic dimension is that Brazil is quite vulnerable to the global slowdown mm. due to its independence on commodity exports. And, of course, the fact that employment had not recovered is also a factor on a Bolsonaro loss of popularity. And that was kind of expressed in the carnival parties here in Brazil last month. There were a lot of street protests against Bolsonaro, and people would go to the streets talking about the hypocrisy of his being a politician that used to criticize corruption and we're pretty much involved in the same old political practice that he used to use
0: a size. Pedro Paulo, we'll have you back. Bolsonaro is still in power. He's still of interest, and this situation, of course, is extremely important—not just for Brazil, but all of Latin America and indeed the world. And I want to thank you for taking the time today. Pedro Paulo is talking to us from Brazil, Campinas, at Unicamp, where he is the head of the Department of Political Economy and Economic History. Thanks for joining us, Pedro Paulo. Much. Salud, pasto thank you, very much. thank you. And I'm Susie Wiseman. Thanks for listening to John. Jacobin Radio. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Susie Wiseman. This is Jacobin Radio. Thanks to producer and director Alan Minsky and to Jacobin Radio's Micah Utrecht. Bhaskar Sunkara is the founder and editor of Jacobin Magazine, and special thanks to Robert Brenner, and thanks to you for listening. I'm Susie Wiseman.